July 16th concert, I was just trying to find what are the most famous Christian hymns of all, of all times. That was one of the top 15. And uh, then Thou Art Worthy, beautiful, and then Worthy of Worship, tremendous. Don't you love, I love the clarinet, the sound. It's just, I love the variety of instruments God created. Incredible. He just delights by being praised by, by lips, by various instruments of all kinds. Wow, what a God. And what, worthy to be praised, absolutely. Well, I pray that you are and have been blessed today, just being with one another, singing together, and looking to the Word together. So take your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians. Chapter 2, we're looking at verses 12 through 18 tonight. As I was thinking about how this is just fitting into my life, the whole text of Scripture, the whole book, it seems like over the years God has always put the perfect book with the church just over and over. And I, I remember one year, really years ago, I wanted to preach First Corinthians so bad. Or was it second? I don't remember. It was one of those. I can't see. I can't even remember. But it was one of those. And I had, I had prepared it. I had written message upon message. I had outlined detailed notes, pages and pages and pages full. And then I never preached it. I didn't preach it, I think, for actually a couple of years later. And my intention was not to be in Philippians at all this year. I wasn't planning on this. I preached this back in 2006, but here we are, and um, it has really ministered to me. It really has. This book has, has just become to me, means so much to me. You know the situation of the Philippians. It's, it, listen, it's not that the Philippians, it's not like they were some wicked church that was completely apostate and no. You know what happened? Just life happened. Life happened in the church. And like life happens in every church. This church is not alone. It's not like the only church that has ever had a need to restore joy and, and all of that. But churches go through cycles, and it's just it's great to be able to be ministered to by God's words thousands of years after it had been written. But um, I'm thinking this is good for me just for this summer of renewal. It's just a summer of refreshment and renewal. And... I'm looking forward to tonight. Instead of a review, I just want to read the scripture to you. Because, you know, it doesn't matter what I say about it. What matters is what does God say? So remember the church, the Philippian church. Yodia, Syntyche, Epaphroditus, lots of things going on. Paul's calling them to like-mindedness. He's calling them to joy. And not a manufactured joy. It's a joy that is a byproduct of living right with Christ. Verse 12 of chapter 1, and just for review, chapter 1 and verse 12, picture Paul speaking to you as part of the Philippian church. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel, so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former, they preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. But the latter, out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Well, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, 
And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, to die, gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, much more better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only of first importance, a primary thing, let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, which is to them a proof of perdition or their destruction, but to you of salvation and that from God. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and you now hear is in me. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ... If any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Holy Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which, also, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. Isn't that great? Let's pray. Father, that is a call to us. We we want this. This is where we want to be. This is like water for a parched soul. It is like life to the, to the one who is gasping for breath. Thank you, Father, that these are life-giving words, that the Holy Spirit has given them to us. He will work them in our life. And for your glory and honor, the church will rise, strengthen, refresh, and, and really go out with the gospel blazing forth. It's exciting. And so, Father, thank you for this time tonight where 
we can reflect on the Word of God. We can have our mind renewed, have our spirit energized, have just another splash of joy brought into our life for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul goes on in verse 12, and he says this, Therefore, my beloved, therefore, because of what I just read to you, my beloved, he's now going to challenge us in an area. He's going to say, hey, you need to do something. And what you do now, what's commanded of you, is going to bring about wonderful results. Wouldn't that be great to know that, hey, there is actually a secret that unlocks the the whole key to renewal, refreshing, unity, joy, all of those beloved, blessed things. Isn't it great to know that God doesn't leave us without answers? So he's going to challenge us. He's going to command us in an area. And then we're going to see at the end of the message all of the results that pour forth out of this one thing. All right, so let's take a look. Therefore, and I love this, my beloved, stop. Does that mean anything to you? You read what I read so far, and it sounds like the church has some shaping up to do. They need some unity, like-mindedness, striving together, staying together. Christ has to be their greatest passion, all of this. You know what I'm talking about. And that has to be told to us. We need that. But then with the pastoral hand, Paul also comes along and says, hey, don't forget, you're my beloved. You are my beloved. And here, as your pastor, I want to emphasize to you that you are my loved ones. You are. You are my family. You are, you are my loved ones. We are all sheep under the great shepherd Jesus. But as an under-shepherd, you're like the flock. And what shepherd doesn't love their flock? It's just my beloved. When I read through that, I kind of skipped through that in my notes, and I just was writing about a bunch of other things. But then I thought, wait a minute. The church needs to know they're greatly loved. And so I want you to know that. You are my loved ones. And he goes on, now, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed. You see, they were consistent at something. They were just consistent at obedience. They had always obeyed. He says, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. It's not that their obedience was just because Paul was right there on the scene. And he was watching them and living with them and working with them. And, and, you know, so he could tell they were obeying. But when he was gone and he was in prison and on his other missionary journeys, he could hear report after report, and everything he heard was, they're just consistently obedient. But listen, they were always obedient, not in the sense of just big, dramatic things like God's going to pick you up and move you to Africa as a missionary. I mean, that's huge obedience, huge, huge. No, they just always obeyed, and you know what obedience is? For the most part, it is just day-to-day little stuff that nobody gets all worked up about. You're just in God's word on a regular basis. You're reading it on your own. You're not just coming here to get it, but you're in God's word. You're in prayer, not just in a public prayer meeting, but you're, you're, God says pray always, pray without ceasing, and, and you're lifting one another up in prayer. Those are just routine, everyday little things. Do you ever get tired of just doing routine, daily little things? Uh, dishes or laundry or floors or clutter or dust or whatever. I mean, you just, we're always doing those routine things. And after a while, sometimes the routine things just get like, blah. You're like, we've done this a thousand times. Do I have to do another set of dishes? Like, Melissa was gone a couple of days. And um, 
I'm like, where did all these sinks, where all these dishes go? And what, they all ended up in the sink. I'm like, I'm the only one in the house. How can I have so many, how can I dirty so many dishes? And I got to wash them. And then I'm like, more dishes appear. It's just part of the routine of life. The thing about obedience is God just wants our consistent daily obedience. Coming to gather together for encouragement, for public worship, for praise for his name, speaking publicly forth his praises, singing together, giving together, you know, all of those things just delights his heart. Just regular, old, plain obedience. Nothing earth-shattering, just consistent, consistent, consistent. I was talking to uh, a friend this afternoon, very wise individual, and we were just talking about how sometimes obedience can just be exhausting. Just doing the right thing all the time can just sometimes be exhausting. And maybe the Philippians, just having done it over and over and over for some 10 years, you know, we've been here almost 50. They were 10 years into it, just daily obedience, being there, faithful. And then things happen, and then you get a little discouraged. Why am I doing this? Seems like I've been doing it, and now there's no big results. And Paul is saying, keep going, keep going. You're on the right track. So isn't that great? Therefore, my beloved, my loved ones, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. And listen, don't, maybe take some time this week and just think about that. The Philippians were just obeying God's word consistently. Not legalistically, but just faithfully. When they heard God's word, they just, they they said, we want to, we want to do it. By the power of God, we're going to do that. And reflect on that, because that phrase, you have always obeyed, speaks great things about this church. As, as many issues as they might have had anyways, great to be known, just a nice, obedient, day-to-day, keep-going life in Christ. Here's what he does say. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I think he means this very clearly. Yes, you've been obeying consistently. Don't, don't slack off. Don't abandon it. As a matter of fact, instead of abandoning it, double your energy, double your focus. This phrase, work out, it's used by a mathematician. You know, mathematics, sometimes problems are very long and very tiring, and you get halfway through, and you're almost a page done, and you're like, I still don't have the answer. I've got to keep going to reach a final conclusion. You're working it out step after step after step after step, and you're not done until the answers that are on the page. Paul says, hey, you've been consistently obedient. Granted, life has happened. Things have happened. But you know what? Just keep working it out. Keep working it out. Step after step after step. Be faithful this week, next week. Sometimes the best thing to do to get out of the doldrums of obedience is just be obedient. Just keep doing it. Like the other day, I was thinking about the dishes. And I thought, you know what? Why do we have to do dishes? Can't we just like use paper plates every day or whatever? But then I started thinking, I have to praise God because I have dishes. I know there are people in this world, they don't even have dishes. They don't even have food to put on dishes, and I'm complaining that I've got dishes to, that are dirty, which means I must have something to eat. If I'm complaining about doing dishes, I'm not really complaining about the dishes. I'm complaining about who? God. God, why would you force me to do all this manual labor when you've blessed me beyond measure with dishes and food? You know, I'm just criticizing my Lord. So Paul is saying, double your effort. Put the zeal back into it, and just don't give up. Work out, no, this word work out is also used not only in the mathematical world, but it was used in the mining world. So if you were mining a treasure out of the earth, do you like look at the ground 
in the gold rush days and say, all right, here's my gold, here's my pan. I just want the gold to leap into my pan. No, that doesn't happen. What do you do? You either have to go into the stream and dig for it and, and sift it, or you have to go into the earth and with pick and shovel, dig into the ground. And is it easy to dig into the hard ground to find a piece of gold? No, it's not easy at all. As a matter of fact, after about 10 minutes, you're like, hmm, is it even worth it? But when you find one little nugget, what do you think? Oh, man, it was all worth it. It was definitely worth it. You agree? The, 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 great, the great pleasure of, of the digging out comes when you find the jewel. Paul says, work out your salvation. Mine out your salvation. It's hard. You're going to get dirty. It's going to take some exhaustion. But keep digging, and you will find jewel upon jewel, whether it's this. Listen. All right. After choir, I watched you all come in, and I was watching the laughter and the talking about just life, just things, and I was happy, and I, I thought, that's really neat. I was going to say cool. It was really neat. It was, it was just great, and then, you know, having the choir sing, and then Charlene play, and then to hear a clarinet tonight, I was like, that is what I needed. That's what I needed. I just needed a different sound. The songs we love with a different sound, and I, it just brought joy to me. I thought, yeah, that's what it's all about. It's mining out those treasures, and you're finding joy, pan after pan, shovel after shovel. It's work, and it is exhausting. That's why we need a season of renewal. That's why we need a summer to step back and evaluate and praise the Lord and be together and who knows, maybe between now and the end of August, there can be some times that are planned or spontaneous where we just get together around a bonfire or a hike or something, and we just laugh and laugh and laugh or just enjoy one another. So Paul says, um, work out your own salvation. Listen, he does, and you already know this as I'm looking around, but there are people probably listening to the recording of this. It's not working for your salvation. You're not doing good works for Jesus to accept you and to save you from your sins. That is a free gift. It is, that is by grace through faith alone. Jesus did it all 100% on the cross. So that's justification. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, it is a moment in time. It is a judicial act. God, the Holy Father, literally takes the record of sins off of you. It's been placed on Jesus on the cross and you have a clean slate, you are now declared righteous. Practically, we don't live that way, but positionally, we are declared righteous. That is justification. All you do is place your faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's a moment in time. It's not an ongoing process. Either you are or you are not justified. You, all you do is place your faith in it, in Jesus Christ. Now, the, the third part of our salvation is when we rise from the dead and we're glorified, that, again, we have nothing to do with. It's God's timing. He's going to call us out of the ground or in the rapture out of a living body and give us a glorified body. It's a moment in time. It's called glorification. I don't have anything to do. I don't have to, like, write a paper and get it approved in order to get my glorified body. All I do is it's going to happen. So I'm justified. It's going to happen. It's already happened. Glorification, it's going to happen. But the middle part of salvation is the progressive sanctification where I'm growing more like Christ. None of us have arrived. We all have work to do. So we're going to continue the process of sanctification, working out our salvation, and we're working it out with fear and trembling. Listen, it doesn't mean we're afraid. It doesn't mean like, oh, no, I'm afraid of God, and so I'm going to work out my salvation, but I fear God. No. But it's the idea of I cannot 
produce sanctification on my own. There's just no way. I'm going to stand before God someday, and if I try to do this all in the flesh, I'll end up with nothing. So the fear and trembling comes in that he is going to hold me into account someday for this whole sanctifying process. Is he going to hold me into account for justification? No, Christ paid it all. How about glorification? Nope, he's going to get rid of this old body and give me a, a new one. But my part is when I contribute the working out my salvation, I want to do it just in reverence for him with almost shaking, thinking, I want to please him. I'm going to stand before him someday. I can't do this. He's asking me to do things I can't do in my own power. I need the Holy Spirit to work in me. If we're super confident saying, forget it, I I don't need anybody's help, I don't need the Bible, I don't need the Holy Spirit, I can be godly on my own, wrong. So we approach it with, yeah, you know what? We've been consistently obedient here. Let's double our efforts. Let's put that energy back in and see the reviving and the refreshing of the heart And we're going to do it with fear and trembling. Then he says this, verse 13. Here's the balance of our sanctification. For it is God who works in you. Now, doesn't that bring you joy? He doesn't just tell us it's all us. We have to do it all. We have to work out our salvation. It's going to require obedience and submission and humility. But God has a part. Look at what his part is. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will. So he's going to give us the will and the desire to do it and to do he's going to give us the power so listen when i when i'm growing in christ day by day it's up to me to open my bible and read it it's up to me to pray it's up to me to gather together with you to choose to be here instead of stay home it is up to me to choose to help my wife serve others in the church family it is See, those are all choices that I have to make every single day. But I'm not doing it alone. That's the part that brings me joy. It is God that is working in me. He's energizing me. And he's giving me the desire. And he's giving me the ability. So, listen. He gives me the desire. He gives me the ability. And he says, now just do it. Have you ever felt that way? Where you like walk out of here and you're like, I want to do that. I'm going to serve the Lord. That He gave you that desire. And then he gives you the power. But what if you say, well, I'll do that tomorrow? You just lost the working out part, right? He's giving you the desire. He's giving you the power. You have just chosen not to do the working out part. You've chosen not to be obedient. So Paul is saying, you're at a critical point here. You've been consistently obedient. Redouble your efforts. Put the zeal and fervor back in it. And just realize it is God that is energizing you. He's going to give you the desire and the will. So what are your desires? Quick, just think about this as we, we're going to keep go through the rest of the text, but what are your desires? Serve the, Lord. serve the Lord. So we have that desire to right now and here serve the Lord. So opportunities will come throughout the week. Who's giving you the desire to serve the Lord? He has. Who is then going to give you the power and the ability and the resources to do it? He will. What do you have to do? Do it. You actually have to open your mouth, go somewhere, use your hands and your feet. You have to do something. And in doing it, that's the whole equation. You're doing it. It's his power. It's his, it's his, he's giving you the desire and the will. Pretty neat, isn't it? A lot of people get that, but then they walk out and don't do anything about it. All right. He then says this, verse 14. Do all things, because now 
Now, as we work out our own salvation with fear and trembling, here's what's going to creep up. Murmuring and complaining. Murmuring and disputing, two things. Oh, who was famous for that in the Old Testament? Israel. How long did it take him to get through the Red Sea before they started complaining? Listen, they had just seen 10, pl- ten plagues come upon Egypt, with the last one being the death of the firstborn, of all the people and animals. They have now gotten to the place where they are. They can't go backwards because Pharaoh's army there. They can't go forward. The Red Sea is there. They can't go north or south. They are blocked. They are going to die. Pharaoh and his army, they can see the dust of the chariots. They all know the little babies, the children, the young men, the young women, the moms, the dads, the grandmas, and the grandpas are going to die. They run to Moses. Moses, what are you going to do about this? Moses goes to the Lord. He then tells the people, stand still and you will see the salvation of the Lord. The Red Sea waters part, leaving a path of dry land, and they march across it in one evening. They get to the other side. Pharaoh's army chases The water goes back, and you can see the chariots. I see the movie, but you see the chariots flipping around and the people, you know, drowning in the water. And Israel's cheering for their God. Is that like not like the most? By the way, that's what the whole book of Revelation is referring to, talking about Exodus. It just runs through the whole scriptures. One of the most phenomenal events in, in, in history. How many days did it take for Israel to begin murmuring against their leaders? Three days. Within three days, they were like, we hate it here. We don't like the, we don't like the water. We don't like, we don't like the stale water. We don't like the travel conditions. We don't like the food. And Moses, we don't like you. There's not much we like right now. Well, were they really complaining? Were they really angry about the food? And about Moses? No. Who are they murmuring against? They're saying, God, you are a lousy God. Bring us here and leave us like this. You haven't held up to your end of the bark. Well, how can you imagine it? That's what they were doing. So when we murmur, what, what are we doing? Well, first of all, the word murmur is gong, gongumos or gongumon or something like that. Gongumon. It's got the word gong in it. And I just think, you know, when you hit a gong and it just reverberates, if you hit it gently, just slightly, It'll just like, there's just a constant vibration, a little echo that you hear in the back of your ear. It's not a big thing. You can just hit it lightly, and it's just, you hear the vibration. It's like a low tone that's riding through the background. Oh, that happens all the time. It can happen anytime, can't it? That, you know when that happens? When we're not talking to each other, and we're talking about each other. That's when the murmuring comes... They're all talking in their tents. Moses, 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 Moses. Aaron, Moses, Moses, Moses. Manna, quail, hmm, you know. Um, they're, they're all murmuring to one another. And God says, enough with this. You eat the next piece of quail, you're going to get a plague in your mouth and die. Or whatever the judgment happened to be at the time. Did they ever learn the lesson on murmuring? No, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't get it. So Paul says, hey, you want to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, then don't murmur. Don't, don't have this low discussion that's hidden behind all the scenes because anything that's hidden, it just festers and wrong. And then he says, do all things without, compla- without murmuring and complaining or literally disputing. Here's what disputing is. It is an intellectual argument 
of rebellion against God. It is actually taking God's word, his commands, and then forming arguments like a lawyer to battle them so you can be disobedient on purpose. It is saying, oh, I heard what you said and I know what you want, but we don't have to do that because here's why I don't need to do that. You're actually forming arguments against what God wants you to do. It's disputing. And it can be formal and it can be informal. It's very wicked. Korah did that. Remember that? Aaron, who says that you... Moses, Aaron, who says that you guys get to be the only ones who lead? We want to lead. We have arguments against you being the only leaders. And they could name them and display them and and fight against them. Do you you see what I'm saying? God took care of them with one crack in the earth. One earthquake swallowed them all up. But so there's no murmuring. Now listen, okay, that's That's what God wants. No murmuring, no disputing. Hey, you got an issue? Bring it out. Talk about it. Resolve it. Let's move on. But no murmuring, no disputing. And then here's what flows out of that. So as we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we're doing it without complaining, we're doing it without disputing or murmuring, and because we're not, then we're not showing our anger at God for having my circumstance be like it is. I'm taking the credit for that. Um, here's, here's what flows out of that quickly. Look, care, look carefully. Here's what flows out when we're doing all things without complaining and disputing. Verse 15, that you may become. Here's what here's the result is. You're going to become blameless and harmless children of God. Authentic, without blemish, children of God. In the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, in a place of darkness and depravity, You will stand out as a child of God, as a son of God or a daughter of God. Pretty impressive, isn't it? You know what's going to distinguish us from the world? We're not complaining or murmuring. Imagine what the world says when they see see churches with complaining and murmuring. Or they'll be like, oh, what church do you go to? I go to Faith Baptist. Murmur, 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 complain, complain. Oh, I know all, you know. Boy, what a damage. Then we become just like the world. When we're working on our salvation with fear and trembling, and we are um, doing it without complaining and murmuring, we are we become we actually become blameless and harmless, sacrificial. That's the a sacrificial term, harmless without horns, um, and blameless is a sacrificial term. It means we go out into the world like sacrificial sheep, and the world takes a notice. They take attention. So we are blameless, harmless. We are children of God, authentic children without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You will make an impact in everybody around us. All right? That's what's going to distinguish us. Verse 16, holding fast the word of life in the New King James, literally holding forth the word of life. You're, listen, the word of life is the gospel. We work out our salvation. We double our effort. We just put our energy back into, we're going to be daily obedient, just on the regular, regular routine things that God has called us to do. And we're going to do it with joy, without murmuring, without complaining. The world will see us as children of God. They'll see us as lights in darkness. And then when we hold forth the word of life, they will hear it and believe it. They will. They will hear it and believe it. We will hold forth the word of life, and they will see that the two match up. My life is matching up with the message that I preach. So he keeps going. 
holding forth the word of life so that I may rejoice. Now look at the last verses, 16, 17, 18. I want you to see the word rejoice or a form of it over and over and over and over because this is a matter of rejoicing. We, as a church family, working out our salvation with fear and trembling, we are doing it without murmuring or disputing. We're not arguing about the, the, the commands of the Lord. We're not murmuring about one another. The world sees us as children of God, as lights in a dark world. We're bringing forth the, the gospel, the word of life. Now look at the joy. Paul says, So that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Paul says, My joy is going to show up at the Bema seat. When Jesus rewards us, because of your obedience, I will find great joy. I tell you what, when we get to stand before Christ and we see his face and we look into his eyes and he begins to reward the saints, I think we'll be together as a church. I, don't, I think maybe because he says to the Thessalonians, I'll see you all together up before the, the, the Bema seat of Christ. Who knows? I'm not sure. But it, regardless, we'll know each other up there. There's going to be great rejoicing and joy as we see each other up there before the throne of God. Oof. Rejoicing in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain, because then the ministry uh, will not have ended. It will, have, will, will continue on through the work of the Philippians. Yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad, look at that word glad, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Look at another word, rejoice. So Paul says, if you're obedient, and in your obedience you're doing things without murmuring or complaining, and you're becoming children of God um, in, the, in the midst of a wicked world, you're shining as lights in darkness, Paul says, well, then I just get this boiling up joy. There's like a rejoicing with you all. And then verse 18, for the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. It's, it works both ways. Paul says, when you're obedient, and I see that, joy wells up in my heart, and then joy wells up in your heart. So it's just, it keeps going. Pretty exciting. Isn't that great? So God does have the answer. It is, listen, don't stop what you're doing. Just keep doing it. Be faithful, be kind, be generous, be Christ-like, be evangelistic, be prayerful, be supportive, be encouraging, right? Or just be loving. All right, that's, that's the key. Joy, joy, and rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this whole thought that Paul says after talking about the great sacrifice of Jesus, how he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death of the cross, and then how you highly exalted him. You have called us to, to similar living in the fact that we need to humble ourselves. We need to deny self, pick up our cross, follow you. And it's going to be working out our salvation just recognizing that we're going to meet you someday, so there's some reverence and weightiness in our behavior, very intentional about our living. Father, we want to do all things without complaining, without disputing. We want to do these things, and out of that is going to flow the fact that we are authentic children, shining as lights in darkness, being pure in the midst of wickedness, we can hold forth the word of Christ, and many people can hear and respond. And then you rejoice, Father, and then we rejoice, and then new believers rejoice, and all the way around, the joy builds and grows to a great cacophony of praise to your honor and glory. 
Father, we want more worshipers, more men and women, boys and girls, to give thanks and to have hearts of joy because of what Christ has done for them. Let it start right here during this season of renewal, during this time at Faith Baptist. And may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen.